Hello and welcome to Kiwi Rider Podcast, the show where we care a lot about motorcycles, but uh, we don't actually talk anything serious. My name's Ray Heron, and joining me this episode, it's Matthew Day Gillett. G'day, Matt. How you doing after this long weekend? Hey, man. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty good. Um, I'm a wee bit um, stiff. I uh, got a few sore muscles um, after putting in a few Ks on the motorbike, uh, which is a rarity, especially for riding my own motorbike lately. Um, how about yourself? Yeah, I got a, got, a, got a little bit done on the bike over the weekend, over the long weekend, but um, a little bit uh, disappointed that I missed out on the uh, Matariki mission with you, Tal and Dave. Uh, it sounded like uh, one hell of a ride. Yeah, it was a goodie, man. It was a real shame you uh, missed out. Um, obviously, if, you, if listeners were clued in on what we were planning, we were planning to head to the Motu, but um, we knew... Uh, we first were forced to pull out. Um, we sort of changed the plan up a bit and ended up going to Northland um, and going up to Bailey's Beach uh, and riding New Zealand's longest motorable beach, Rapiro Beach. That sounds exciting. So let's dive into that. I, I'll tell you about my weekend mission um, a little bit later on, but um, let's dive into what you guys got up to. So what, Friday about 6.30, I think you hit the track from Cambridge? Yeah. That was the idea. Um, it was bloody cold, so I hit snows a couple of times and didn't end up leaving until probably quarter to seven. Uh, it was still bloody cold, um, about one degree out at the time. Um, and yeah, I hit the tracks on Rosie the Rally and uh, scooted up to Albany, which is where I was going to meet Tal and Dave. Uh, Tal and Dave, uh, of course, were two of the chaps that joined us in February to do the 42 Traverse, uh, both on DR650s in various states of uh, disrepair and uh, modification. Uh, they're uh, cracking good blokes and um, awesome to spend a weekend with. Um, and yeah, from there we uh, decided we were going to cruise on up uh, north by as many gravel backroads as we could. Um, and tr- yeah, the idea was to sort of take it easy, take it casual. Um, that all sort of fell apart on State Highway 16 after we had um, somehow managed to find ourselves going south instead of north. Um, we sort of jumped on State Highway 16 to head north, and um, one of us had an encounter with a uh, officer of the law, um, and may have received a ticket there. Um, but uh, other Ooh. than that, um, yeah, it wasn't me. Wasn't me. Um, was it? Was it a speeding ticket? No, it wasn't. Um, so uh, yes, it was for other motorcycle shenanigans going on, um, <laughs> but we won't go into that. Um, and anyway, so uh, yeah, after that, we sort of sheepishly went up, uh, did all, a lot of the gravel roads sort of around Pakri, uh, Mangafai, uh, sort of found our way onto State Highway 1 just before Bryn Derwin and uh, just before, um, oh, I'm trying to remember the name of the joint. Um, we ended up finding our way onto a lot of gravel, awesome back roads. Um, we did Golden Stairs Road, uh, which used to be part of the WRC. Um, it was pretty, pretty good riding. Um, so I've been riding Rosie with a, a fresh set of tyres. They're not so fresh at the moment, no. Um, got Michelin trackers on there and loving those. Um, they sort of, once they hit about 600, 700 k's old, um, they started really working well in all conditions. Um, I sort of lost that sort of knobbly feeling uh, on the road and they just hooked up and turned in beautifully and everything, so I was having a ball of a time. Yeah, they're a much more knobbly tyre than what you've been running traditionally on, Rosie, right? Yeah, so they're, I'd call them a 90-10 tyre, 90% dirt, 10% road, um, so 
my idea with fitting these tyres, I wasn't actually planning on doing big road trips like we've just done this weekend. Uh, it was all planning to sort of do stuff closer to home. Um, but yeah, they're wearing remarkably well. They've got probably 1,700 Ks on them now. Uh, the rear's just a little over half worn and the front um, is yeah still looking pretty pretty snazzy. So yeah, I'm still in with the grin for coming on our, uh, our next mission. But uh, getting back to our Matariki mission, uh, yeah, we sort of braved a fair bit of rain and everything on the way up to Bailey's Beach, and we got up there. Um, the idea initially was to get up there for low tide at 1pm, uh, and uh, we blew past that by a couple of hours by just faffing around and getting lost and all that, um, which is amazing because we had multiple navigation devices with us, but we still managed, managed to have an adventure. Um, yeah, had a burn on the beach, had a bit of a play, a couple of fall-offs, trying to climb a... Um, a sand dune and yeah it was a pretty cracking first day right first day it was a two-day mission and you stayed up there overnight you stayed at bailey's beach yeah yeah we stayed at the bailey's beach holiday park um yeah it was really nice we had a, a full berth cabin to us um paid the extra five dollars each to get linen supplied which included a towel uh, so we were able to get up in the morning and have a nice hot shower to wake up with and yeah we'd sort of um had a great sleep in for me it was after eight o'clock when i sort of roused and decided to wake the other two up um which was amazing it felt great um they probably would have liked to stay in bed a little bit longer but uh them's the breaks you're on a mission uh so yeah we uh, left the holiday park fully packed up and ready to go with all our luggage on the bikes and um decided after a, a spot of uh, the traditional kiwi rider podcast breakfast of a pie in dargaville and a fuel up we were going to hit the beach and ride all the way down to Pudo, um, where there's a lighthouse on top of the sand dunes. Um, so Rapero Beach, which sort of encompasses Bailey's Beach um, and all that stretch of coastline, um, that's 107 kilometres long. So it's New Zealand's longest motorable beach. Um, and we would have done probably over the two days, at least 100 kilometres of it. Uh, it was bloody good fun. Um, a bit bit um wearsome on um, the poor little rally uh, my clutch um is now out to maximum adjustment <laughs> uh, my clutch was getting a bit cooked um playing in the sand and everything for two days um and yeah there was another couple of iffy things that happened to poor rosie but we'll get at that later but no it's a stunning piece of beach and for most of the morning we had blue skies i don't know about how your weather was looking ray but um for us there it was Itchy. Um, and then, yeah, once we got to the lighthouse, um, which is perched atop some dunes, there was um, quite a lot of four-wheel drives down there trying to sort of boost it up to the dunes and get up to the top there. Um, I had a crack, went straight up the sort of side of the dunes and got maybe 100 metres up before I ran out of power and uh, fell off. <laughs> uh, and that was a pig of a thing to pick up. Um, Rosie fell down the... Um, sand dunes so my handlebars were on the lower side um so it was a big effort to get that little uh, 150 157 kilo pig uh, back upright and um yeah after that um carl had found a nice spot for us to go um and sort of skirt around a little bit less steep um, and i had a crack at that and uh, had the mother of all stacks um, which um, I'm very lucky to have gotten away with. I sort of had a bit of a sore hand uh, riding home yesterday, um, and I'm going to need to replace my ADX-1 Scorpion helmet now because that took quite a beating. Um, but, 
yeah, poor Rosie um, did a bit of a cartwheel in the sand dunes, and um, I bent my rally tower. You don't tend to get away with trips very often without having an off of some description, do you? Yeah, well, yeah, there was a couple of, um, <laughs> like, on the way down, we had a couple of good fun moments just burning up some sand dunes and that, and um, I nearly crashed into the back of Dave. I just I think my problem is going into the sand, I've got too much pace, and that's what did me in in the end. Um, and, yeah, what seems to have happened, I've got it all on um, on GoPro. It looks like I got a bit of air, and then I buried the front end, and that just threw me, high-sided me, and sent the bike into a cartwheel. Um, but other than that, I've, um, I've managed to bend the rally tower back out um, using the help of a ratchet strap and um, the nice silver birch tree in the front of my house. <laughs> and gave it a thorough good wash today, and it's, um, it's looking all right, actually. Just nice. having a gander now. Um, so yeah, um, could- how, many, how many Ks did you cover over the weekend? Um, I, it's, so the river app didn't... Yeah, the river app didn't count all of them, but it was roughly a thousand k's all up. So we, after my stack, um, we sort of um, always tried a couple more times to get up to the lighthouse, and we sort of gave up in the end. The weather was starting to turn, uh, so we rounded our way round the bottom of the headland to Pudo. Um, and if you're ever heading up that way, the sand at that bottom part of the peninsula is really, really soft, and um, that really did my clutch in. Um, and yeah, we sort of rounded that and we decided to go up the eastern coast of the peninsula uh, back to Dargaville and uh, we were going to make our plan for heading home there. Um, and yeah, my clutch was just fully slipping. I couldn't get it into the power band at all. I get up to about 6,000 RPM and then ooh, I just rev out uh, with no momentum. So yeah, got out, got off um, and adjusted my clutch cable and I've, it's now working at the moment. <laughs> so that's all hunky dory but uh the clutch is the weak point of the 250l in the rally so i wonder if it's the same with the uh 300s haven't heard of any uh, clutch failures there but, um yeah it was honestly it was a great weekend there's a whole lot of tracks there on the way up um we did a couple of paper roads um through a farm which um was a lot easier for me with the uh, michelin trackers than for tal and dave with their more road oriented i think they've got tkc 70 rocks TKC-70s on the rear and TKC-80s on the front, um, and they were having a good slide of a time on the <laughs> mud and the grass, where I just sort of poodled through. Now, it was a fantastic weekend, amazing riding, and uh, yeah, it's a shame you missed it, because right? uh, that Beta 430 of yours uh, would have eaten it up. You would have gotten up to the lighthouse, I'm sure. I'm thinking about it now, thinking, man, I wonder what the Beta 430 would have done Um you know, in that sort of situation, because I, I haven't actually come across a terrain that the bike can't ride on. I've come across many terrains that I can't ride on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, when we were sitting there at the bottom of the um, big sand dune to the lighthouse, going on what looked like a CRF 250R or um, CRF 250 or 450, just monstered it all the way up. And we're sitting there going, oh, it would be nice to have that kind of level of power and power to weight ratio. <laughs> um which, yeah, we probably weren't helping ourselves having um, overnight bags with a uh, bit of stuff in it and uh, bottles and all the likes. <laughs> um, I was going to ask you, when you were talking about uh, the soft sand at the uh, the bottom of the peninsula, what, how much does Rosie weigh with, well, I guess how much does Rosie weigh on her own? Uh, on her own, factory, 157 kilos. Um, I removed the surprisingly heavy factory mudguard put on the RNG tail tidy, which lost a couple of kilos, but then I put a couple of kilos back on with um, 
my steel luggage rack. So yeah, I'm saying it's around 157 kilos. Um, and plus, your bash plate, plus your luggage, plus you. Yeah, my luggage, I'd say I had, would have had 10 kilos on the back there by the feel of it. Most of that's my tool kit. Um, so, yeah, it was way down. Plus, I'm not a light bloke. I'm over 100 kilos. So it was a hard work for the little bike. Um, I came home, to, well, got home last night, um, put in a 480-kilometre day, according to River, um, and uh, this Today's basically been all maintenance on the bike. I've pulled all the plastics off it, seat off it, changed the oil, you know, washed it within an inch of its life, and it's still grubby. <laughs> Get all that salt and, uh, off the wheels and the chain. Yeah, yeah, the chain. Oh, man, the chain. So I had a rather snazzy-looking gold chain on there, if you might remember. It doesn't look that way anymore. It looks like it is um, all the gold plating's like been blasted away by the sand. Um, the rivets sort of have like rust marks on them now. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting how long this chain lasts overall. But I cleaned that um, very thoroughly, got out the chain cleaner, and then was was that a Regina tr- chain from um, Eurobike wholesale? Uh, no, it was an R and K one that I um, bought because um, remember last year I couldn't get any local sprockets, um, so I bought a kit um, from overseas and I got the R and K chain, R K chain. Um, and yeah, it's just a cheap O-ring one because um, everything I do is on a budget, it seems. But yeah, she's um, she's looking nice and clean now, at least. Yeah, it was it was a bloody good time, awesome time. Um, and yeah, there's plenty of footage. Um, I'll hopefully put some stuff up on the YouTube channel uh, on YouTube.com/slash/onthrottle. Um, we did lots of tracks, a um, couple of interesting ones um, as we were coming back. Um, First, getting back down to the beach after our breakfast in Dargaville, um, we ended up coming down this twin track, uh, and it ended up taking us through a river to get into the um, onto the beach. And we'd sort of been exploring around the night before, and we'd come to this little river. And Tal and I got to it, and we go, "Oh yeah, no, nah, I don't want to check how deep that is. That might be a bit too deep." And I was in a uh, take no prisoners mood, and turned out, "Oh look, it's that place we were yesterday. Oh well, must be good," and just went straight through it. Um, and yeah, it was, it was reasonably deep. It would have been up to my pegs. Um, but, uh, I figured it would have been reasonably fresh water and, uh, couldn't do any harm. Um, and yeah, we just did a lot of cool tracks. Um, there's so much of a sand base up there, even on the gravel roads. Um, there were a couple of intersections that just had what seemed like a pile of sand in the middle. Um, so if you don't like sand, maybe, um, the peninsula below Dargaville's might not be your thing, but I had a great time. So you uh, bent the instrument tower uh, kind of headlight uh, windshield arrangement on the CRF250L rally. Uh, You've done the clutch, which, uh, yeah, you probably need to end up replacing that or doing some work there, I guess. Yeah, And um, you've half half used up your tyres all in one weekend. Yeah, it was... um I'm not going to lie, I have no regrets. <laughs> so, it sounds, sounds like it was absolutely worth it. Yeah, like I have spent, what, $150 to get a new um, new tower bracket. Um, I'm going to order that from Thailand. Uh, but, um, yeah, other than that, it's sort of just, um, I'll ride the bike until the clutch completely goes, and then I'll do that. Um, and, yeah, the tyres... Um, yeah, I'm going to end up buying another rear, I think, because um, once that started wearing in, it's become truly magical. Um, I have no complaints. Like, yes, if you want, um, if I was going to do a big tour down, do this, like a loop of the South Island, 
uh, the Michelin trackers probably wouldn't be the tyre of choice, or at least the rear. I love the front. On the gravel, the front of this Michelin feel this gives me in the confidence to just attack gravel corners is insane. And it's wearing really nicely, but um, yeah, the rear, I don't think would survive doing a loop of the um, South Island, at least the way I ride anyway. Um, but we'll see. Like it's uh, Now it's worn down those centre knobs to the point where the centre knobs and the knobs on either side are in contact with the road at all times. So the wear rate might slow down. We'll see how, what, how long they last. That's part of the whole idea of testing it, isn't it? Now, um, Tal uh, that you were riding with, Tal works for motogear.co.nz. He's the guy that hooked us up with the Cardo Pack Talk edges. Uh, I know he's running one. I'm pretty sure um, Dave's running one as well, and you were running one. How did yep, you go yep. with the Pack Talk edge? Honestly, it was quite easy up until sort of halfway through yesterday where we started having some problems with Tal's unit. Um, but honestly, easy as the whole pairing thing is, you know, piece of cake, you jump on the app, you create a group and everyone just automatically joins in. It was turn the unit off in the morning, you're connected back up straight away. Um, yeah, Tal's microphone um, started having an issue and by the end of the day, his microphone had cut out completely. So um, no idea what the... I, origin of that problem is um, we kind of figure it's something to do with the cradle um, but um, I'm sure Tal will uh, fill us in once he's uh, sent it back to Cardo and gotten it fixed but yeah like Dave and I no issues at all um, we had to turn Dave's sensitivity on his microphone down because he just kept blasting wind noise into my ears um, both How was the range? Because the um, the Pack Talk Edge, they say uh, 1,600 metres, 1.6k. Uh, we know from experience that you're generally scratching the bottom of the barrel to get anywhere close to that. We're talking a very strong line of sight, though. Well, how did it go? Yeah, line of line of sight perfectly. That's the, the best conditions, the 1.6k. Um, like we found with every other um, home unit we've tested, like we've tested everything from the centres to the old Cardos now to the new ones. Um, as soon as you sort of get behind like a headland, that's sort of some big heavy thing that's going to block the signal, you tend to drop out. Um, so, yeah, it's a few twists and turns and you're sort of dropping out of communication. But as soon as everyone catches up together again and gets within range, it just meshes up automatically. There's no faffing around. You don't have to... Um, so, yeah, that's sort of simple way of doing it um we had one positive of the is um obviously usb-c charging so you have to take one less cable um so that was as charging them up overnight battery life was awesome um so we rode all day yesterday and i got home around eight o'clock last night and i turned the car off and it still had 25 percent battery left so the battery life is phenomenal um yeah magnetic mount um in my nice um my side crash um, and my tumble in the sand dune. Um, yeah, the Cardo stayed on perfectly fine. Um, looking at the video, it looks like um, the bike may have hit me in the head at some point. Um, but um, yeah, the Cardo still attached perfectly. Haven't even taken it off since I got home, to be honest. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's a strong unit and sound quality is definitely improved. Um, it doesn't sound quite as tinny, but. Does I think find I find depending on the helmet your friends are using. Um, so if someone's got an MX style or a dirt helmet uh, with the big uh, 
elongated chin bar and lots of wind noise getting in there when they're trying to talk and you're doing 100 kilometers an hour on the highway you do get a bit of that background noise in there even despite the filters but yeah like it's still it's an awesome unit uh, real easy to use i made a few phone calls as well um sort of oh hey siri call x as i was making my plans um for the day and yeah just i dropped out of the conversation um i forgot to tell tal and dave that i was going to make a phone call uh, and then i just dropped back in and go oh sorry i was on the phone to my brother just organizing accommodation for the night or oh sorry i was on the phone to my wife just checking out just nice and easy like that nice um have you i noticed that there was a, an update for the pack talk edge was it last week have you done that yet yeah, I did that on the side of the road uh, yesterday <laughs> when we were sort of trying to troubleshoot why um, one of us was awfully quiet and it turned out that was Tal. Um, so I didn't realise I had, hadn't done the update, so I did it from the Dargaville BP. Um, and yeah, I haven't noticed any changes or anything with it. Um, but then again, I've not actually looked at what was meant to be updated in the update notes or anything but like that. The big, but the big change from the Pack Talk Bold, of course, is that you can do over the air updates, which means that you don't have to sit at the BP in, where were you? Um, Dargaville. Dargaville. You don't yeah. have to sit at the BP in Dargaville and pull out your laptop and plug your unit into the computer, download the update, rah, rah, rah. It goes through the app on your phone, right? Yeah, so that was nice and simple, actually. It, um, it was on i was on what 4g or 3g um i'd maxed out my high speed data um took about five minutes or so um to do the update but like that was nothing sort of we were all taking a bit of a break at that point anyway um rehydrating and eating chocolate bars uh staying the healthy specimens we are um and yeah it was nice and easy like you don't have to do any real yeah like you say faffing about with a laptop and plugging it in and everything it just all goes through the cardo app that um, notification for that update came through for my Cardo uh, PackTalk Edge on Thursday morning. And uh, I literally just turned the unit on, connected it to my phone to put some music on. I opened up the app that said there's an update. I'm like, okay, cool. I'm literally about to get on the bike to go to drive to work, ride to work. I hit yes. And I just sat in the driveway on the bike in the about two degrees of uh, an upper hut morning waiting for the thing to update. You're right, it took about six and a half minutes. Yeah, and I'm, I'm assuming you weren't just sitting there idling because your neighbours haven't killed you. I, jeez, um, man, we don't get paid for this podcast. I'm not that rich <laughs> to sit there and idle. I don't yeah, warm up my bike anymore, the price of gas. Yeah, I actually took a picture. Um, cheapest gas um, I found the entire time I was away on my weekend. Um, apart from Cambridge uh, at the Waitomo here, um, which at the moment is $3.09 per litre. Um, so I found $3.19, um, 0.9, uh, so one cent cheaper than up in Northland at the Waitomo on the Bombay Hills. Um, guess how much $25 got me? Uh... About eight litres. Yeah, eight $25.61 got me 8.01 litres. Wow. Um, which was, um, yeah, I probably could have gone a bit further into the Waikato and gotten maybe slightly cheaper fuel by 10 cents, but... Um, Is that for 91? Yeah, that was for 91. 
Wow. Um, yeah. See, at because, the moment, yeah. uh, the, the, so the beta that I'm running runs on 96 or 98, whatever's available, or 95. Um, and so I just filled that up, and it, was, it took about seven and a half litres, and it cost me $25. And, and it reminded me of da- the days where I rode the MT-07 to work, where it took 14, 13, 14 litres if I ran it dry, and it took $25. You know, it's it's twenty dollars a week, but it does it's not as much fuel. Do you get the same sort of distance out of the beater that you did the uh, MTO seven? Absolutely not. Uh, <laughs> so I I took the beater out last weekend for a wee uh, blat through the bush, uh, and then I rode it to work one day last week. So I've done it's just clicked over two hundred and seven kilometers on the odometer. I did. It's probably no more than nine, no more than a hundred k's to that tank, um, and it was pretty empty. So it took seven and a half to eight liters um, to a hundred k's. Yeah, it's a bit thirsty, <laughs> but then again, it is a four thirty single, and it's kind of race tuned. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is a race bike. It is a race engine, and it was in the bush, first and second gear, turtling along. Uh, and the occasional wheelie because the thing just lives <laughs> on the back wheel. It's a it's a machine. Uh, well, mate, it sounds like you had an awesome uh, an awesome trip with Tal and Dave, and I'm very jealous. But I'm looking forward to catching up for the next one. I think we've been talking about as a group heading uh, to Topor to do Boombuster. Uh, so hopefully you haven't worn worn out your tyres before we get a chance to go there. Yeah, well, um, if not, I'm going to have to order another rear tyre. <laughs> That's just going to be the end of it. Simple as that. Yeah, simple as. Like honestly, I had so much fun riding off road, uh, just yeah, pootling along and whatnot. Uh, all I have to do is pull the mirrors off, and I'll probably take the uh, luggage rack off as well, and I'm good to go. So uh, yeah, I'm oh, real keen. So you're doing too much. You're doing too much. I'd just go full mirrors, full road spec. Leave the number plate on there. Oh, I'm I'll tell you what. When we on. do go to Burnbuster, I am going to be bringing up the uh, the Beta 430RR or the RR430, and I'm going to do it in full road spec. Oh, okay. You're brave. I'm. Yeah, I could probably do it with with the mirrors, but um, yeah, why why bother? Like that's mirrors are easily um, easy enough to off um and yeah i want to save weight man my bike's considerably heavier than that uh beta 430 <laughs> um and has pro- what half the power less than half the power <laughs> like we'll, we'll have that conversation down the track when we finally get to topor winter riding tips with protector insurance they have your back even in the worst conditions <laughs> Cold weather means colder tyres, and as everyone should know, cold tyres equate to limited traction. Riding helps increase heat in the tyre, but even the briefest stop can quickly cool the tyres down, reducing traction. While on this subject, let's also discuss how you can get heat in your tyres. Many riders sway back and forth, like a racing driver, but simply put, this is a waste of time. To truly get heat in the tyres, accelerate and decelerate quickly in a straight line a few times, obviously being aware of how much traction is available. Hard on brakes, too hard on the throttle, puts heat in tyres more quickly than riding like a redneck. Also, make sure you have adequate tread on your tyres, and they aren't too old for winter riding. Penny pinching on tyres is about as stupid as penny pinching on the quality of a motorcycle helmet. And this is truer than ever in winter motorcycling scenarios. It will probably rain, and it may snow, and you'll need to channel water or snow more than ever on cold, wet roads. 
check your tyre pressure. This is more crucial during the winter months when optimal traction is needed. Consider a Ride Forever course in the winter months. There is a lot to learn and you don't know what you don't know. Winter Riding Tips with Protector Insurance. Insurance for motorcycles by motorcyclists. See protectorinsurance.co.nz for a quote today. That's P-R-O-T-E-C-T-A insurance.co.nz. I had a bit of a, a, a jaunt out to Mana over the weekend. It's about as far away as my budget would allow me to go uh, to get. Um, but I was joined by one Paul Kane from IAM Road Smart. We've talked to him on the podcast a few times. And uh, Todd Heslin, my mate Todd that I usually go riding with around Wellington, he came out too. And we had a bit of a crack at the Ride Forever Go For Gold Challenge. So what is this? Uh, I don't know if you've I don't know if you've heard about this, Matt. Uh, the Go For Gold Challenge, it's four weeks, four different challenges, and, uh, and every week they, they lay down a new riding manoeuvre for you to have a go at. Okay. The idea is that you film yourself doing it, you chuck it up on your Facebook page with uh, you know a tag for Ride Forever on it, and then towards the end of the four weeks, they're going to um, use a bunch of these videos and then they're going to critique and show the good, bad and the ugly and, and maybe even uh, give some feedback and some, some pointers and some tips. Nice. Um, so the four challenges, it started two weeks, two and a half weeks ago as this podcast goes live. The four, four challenges, the first one was a 5.5 metre U-turn, which is essentially doing a U-turn within the space of two uh, car parking spaces. Oh, yeah. Uh, the second one was uh, the figure of eight, which uh, I didn't manage to catch the the measurements for it. So we just had a guess when we did the figure of eight, but it was uh, the two cones that you go around for the two figures, you know, the two loops, yep. 5.5 meters apart. So that's two car parking spaces and no more than the width of two car parking spaces around those cones. So you want to stay nice and tight. On the Tenere 700, oh, yeah. the figure of eight was lock to lock to lock all the way around. And I could get around in about 2.7 metres radius of those cones. Oh, nice. Um, the next week, which is uh, this week as the podcast goes live, um, I believe is a 90, 90 degree turn left and then a 90 degree right turn right from a standing start. So you want to picture yourself pulling up to a stop sign, indicator on right, full lock, right foot down, and then pulling away from, from stationary at full lock, you know, a tight right-hand turn. Oh. And then you want to stop and you want to do the exact same thing, turning left. Uh, so that's the challenge this week. I'm trying to think of when I... When I've even needed to actually do that kind of maneuver. It's the sort of maneuver that you don't need to do every day, but it's the sort of maneuver that every motorcyclist should be able to do. Yeah. All right. Uh, and this is kind of where we're going with these fundamental um, go for gold challenges. And the final one, which will be next week, which we actually filmed ourselves doing in the weekend, was uh, emergency braking from 50 kilometers per hour. Oh, that's a good So you find yourself a nice. You find yourself a nice quiet piece of car park and you get yourself up to 50 kilometres per hour and you find a braking point and you don't brake before that point. The idea is that if somebody pulls out on you on a street, you know, out of a side street, you're not going to see them coming. So you want to not brake before you hit the cones if you've got cones set up. 
uh, and then you just slam on the anchors. You jump on the rear brake, you slam on the front all at the same time. If you've got ABS, this is something you should probably do quite often, so you get used to how it feels when ABS kicks in. Uh, if you don't have ABS, then you want to you want to really try and see how quickly you can pull that bike up. Uh, but emergency braking is something that's that's quite highly recommended that people practice. Yeah, oh, definitely. Uh, so that's the uh, the challenge for week four. Ah, yeah, I'm a bit late to the game to get in there on these challenges. Um, I will admit, but they sound like a good bit of fun and a, a good uh, test of your skills. And hey, if you get free critique out of it at the end of it, and uh, yeah, go go for gold. Yeah. So the go for gold challenge with Ride Forever. We're going to chuck a video up on the Moto NZ YouTube channel. Uh, we'll get a few videos up, I think, on the um, on the Kiwi Rider podcast. Facebook page as well, because we've got the videos there. We might as well make use of that page. Yeah, definitely. Um, but yeah, check out Ride Forever on Facebook if you want to know more about the Go for Gold Challenge. Um, me, Todd, and Paul, we had a bit of a had a bit of a laugh, a bit of a blast. And then um, I found actually uh, on the emergency braking challenge that the Tenere 700's brakes were absolutely terrible. <laughs> like, I couldn't pull up at all. I couldn't even get the ABS to trigger on the front. Oh. And I didn't know what, why. And I'm like, what's going on here? And so Todd and Paul had a wee poke around the bike, and they, they noticed that I've been neglecting my brakes and that my brake fluid on the front was absolutely cooked. It was black. Ugh. So uh, we left um, Mana after doing the four challenges and filming the video. And I came back to my garage and Todd came with me and we um, we replaced the front brake pads and did a complete uh, fluid flush and change as well. And now the brakes on the T7 feel fantastic. How were the pads looking if your fluid was black? How much meat did you have left on your pads? Interestingly, the right-hand pad was quite low, not 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 completely gone. There was a there was there was a good six months left in the pads, but they were low. The left-hand pads had more meat on them than the right, so they're not wearing evenly. So it's something that I've got to I've got to pay attention to there uh, because you know the the T seven its twin front rotor and disc setup. Um, they're meant to wear evenly. Uh, I don't know if that's a common thing for them not to, but um, so I've had a couple of uh, conversations with um, one uh, Rodney O'Connor from Eurobike Wholesale, who are the Brembo distributor here in New Zealand. And so because I had Brembo uh, calipers, uh, I thought, well, this guy's had a T7. I'll, I'll do what he's done and get the Brembo brake pads. So we got the uh, the Brembo scented brake pads, the ECE R90 approved. Uh, I'm looking for a, a model name or something, but I'm not seeing anything. But they are brake pads, and once bedded in, they feel absolutely brilliant. The only ones I didn't do were the rear. So there's the rear ones there. Um, I'll do them uh, next time I have to take the rear wheel off for you know a tyre change or something. Oh, nice. Well, it's good to know that you've got on it done. Um, yeah, I did my brake fluid on Rosie last year, I think. Um, and yeah, I've still got plenty of meat on my pads. <laughs> still bikes, what, four, five years old now? Um, yeah, but uh, yeah, I don't use my brakes as often as you, clearly, and I'm not commuting every day. Well, that's the problem. Like, uh, if you if you're only riding the bike as a as a weapon, you know, a weekend warrior type thing, or for trips, then 
sure, you're not going to go through the brakes as, as much. You're not going to wear out the bike as quickly, but you're also not going to glaze those pads like I have done commuting because you're quite often in traffic, you're covering and touching that front, front and rear brake. Uh, you know, you're never needing to really jam on the brakes or do any aggressive braking. It's all just kind of gradually coming to a, a halt. So they do glaze quite quickly. Mm. Uh, so I'll have to pay attention to that. And um, when they start dropping in, in um, braking capacity or ability, I'll swap them out again. Because it actually ended up being quite a, a reasonably priced process. Uh, the downside, of course, is you need two sets of pads for the front <laughs> instead of just one um so it does boost up the the cost but um yeah they're not they're not as expensive as i thought they would be oh awesome the beta rr430 on the other hand um is in for tires tomorrow um we're going to take off the oem maxis enduro tires i'm going to keep them uh, i'm probably going to end up giving the bike back to uh beta new zealand on them uh, but we've got some, because I, I didn't, they're, they're not too bad on the tarmac. People put the wind up me and made me really worried uh, that these, these Maxxis Enduro hard knobbly tyres would be terrible on the tarmac. They're not amazing. <laughs> they're, they're, not, they're not like um, a road tyre. But um, much like your, the, the, the situation you're having with your tyres that you've got at the moment, they're, they're definitely getting better on the tarmac. But I don't want to destroy them on the tarmac because they're brilliant off-road tyres. So we've got a, uh, I really struggled uh, with global shipping and, and the pandemic and all that sort of stuff to get a matching set front and rear. Um, but the team at Forbes and Davies uh, are sending down a Carew Extreme rear which seems to have a similar tread pattern to a Pirelli Scorpion STR, uh, and an MC360R for the front, which still looks like a proper knobbly. Um, so, yeah, it's, um, I'm looking forward to getting those on the bike, and, uh, and it, it'll still mean that I can do the trail riding on the beta, but it'll also mean I can get a few road Ks uh, done on it um you know to, to test it out properly oh nice that sounds like good fun um and and with 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 still being able to do dirt uh in mind um uh, we talked about uh burn buster which is happening there's one in july there's one in august uh but also for those in the lower north there's a bit of an event happening and i really like this one i haven't been able to ride it in the last few years because i haven't had a bike to ride it and then i think they had a cancellation due to covid but the uh, arua downs trail ride is happening sunday uh, july 17th and this is a really good one this is uh like your old farm school that uh, your old you know your old rural school that's supported by the local farmers because the local farmers kids go to that school yeah um and so all the farmers around arua downs they kind of pitch in and and if they they don't have you know, land for a trail ride to go through or they're nowhere near where the trail ride's going to be held, they come over and get involved and, you know, they run the barbecue or they um, they help, you know, groom the trails or whatever. And so the, the farms around the school, there's, I think it's about a 50-kilometre loop around um, sand country and through small bits of pine forest and stuff. It's it's a whole lot of fun. Arua Downs Trail Ride, if you haven't been, 
Uh, and Matt, if it wasn't so far south, I'd say come down yeah. for it. Uh, it's a whole lot of fun, but it is only a one-day trail ride. Um, if you want to know more information about the Arua Downs Trail Ride, jump on Facebook and just search Arua Downs Trail Bike Ride. Yeah, I'm not going to lie, that does sound like a lot of fun. And I think I've seen some video footage of you on the old WR250 on there, haven't I? On YouTube or something? Yep, that'd be right. That was the last ride I did on the WR250. Uh, yeah, a whole lot of fun. So much fun. Yeah, oh man, like, I'm so keen to do that kind of stuff now. But um, yeah, that is a bit of a hike for me from Cambridge for one day. Um, though hopefully I'll be child free that weekend, so maybe I'll get some riding in uh, either way. Well, if you're free and you feel like burning on down, you're more than welcome. <laughs> uh, but I will be there, so if anyone's listening and you're going to come along, make sure you come say day and check out the Beta RR430. It's going to be a hoor of a day. Really looking forward to that. And that pretty much wraps us up, Matt. Yeah, not much else to catch up on today, is there? I could regale you of more tales from Northland. <laughs> a bit of news happening at onthrottle.co.nz and motonz.com, so make sure you check out those websites. Got a new magazine out this week as well. Uh, KiwiRider.co.nz is the website there. We're on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, all those places. Plus, Matt, you've got a new video out on the Onthrottle YouTube channel every Monday. Yeah, that's the, that's the goal. Uh, I've been a bit slate lately uh, with the lack of riding and uh, all that. But, uh, yeah, that is the goal. So, well, probably nothing tomorrow. And there's a new video on the Moto NZ YouTube channel every Monday as well. Uh, what have I done? Last week we released the first of our In The Shed videos, uh, where we're literally just in the shed, yarning. Uh, we don't we don't try not to edit, we don't do funky music, we just have the video camera on while we're working on, last week it was bucket bikes in the shed. And I think this week we had a video on the, the Moscow Moto Backcountry 40 litre duffel, was my first look on the video on the YouTubes this week. Otherwise, thank you very much for listening. This is Kiwi Rider Podcast. I've been Ray. I've been Matt. Keep the rubber side down, throttle on, and we'll catch you in seven days' time.